This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Winglings Under the Willow Tree. Previously on Winglings, Will and his family met their first pixie knot, a human representative to the fairies. The man's name was Theodore Knight, and Will assisted him in healing a sick dandelion fairy. Only Will discovered that somehow he'd actually done the healing all by himself, without the help of the pixie knot. Later, Mr. Knight warned the winglings of the dangers of the pass in the Hagaroth Mountains and told Bursley to equip them with the dandelion's finest armor. 
On his last night before heading out, Will called to Mother Moon for help, but got no answer. And now for episode 13, The Pass. Oh, garbers, I said, giving myself another splinter as I sharpened a branch. Making leaker darts for my blowpipe was harder than I thought. Magborn had never gotten around to teaching me how to do it, so I was trying to remember the few moments I'd seen him making them aboard the Jolly Leafer. First, you find a branch that's arm length and sharpen it until the point is as fine as a needle. Then you smooth it with rock and dip it in a toxin made from three parts wallop weed, one part rotten toad, and a couple spoonfuls of rainwater. I'd made up the measurements, of course. Magborn never gave me a recipe, but I remembered more or less how full his wooden cup was of each ingredient before he poured it into a bowl, mixed it together, and dipped the darts into it. I'd gotten up long before the sun was out that morning to make them. A couple hours of hard work and all I had to show for it were a couple dozen darts and no way of knowing how potent they really were. I lightly poked my finger on the first one, and my whole hand buzzed. It stayed that way until Ma and Da woke. As soon as they were up, we packed the invisible teepee, put on the red dandelion armor given to us by Bursley, and loaded our packs onto our new scorpion, Stella. It took some convincing to get Da to wear the armor. He was too prideful to wear anything gifted by the slimeball Bursley. Even worse was the fact that Bursley made sure to give Da a pair of his own suit of armor, which of course was humongous on Da and made him feel like a tiny fairyling wearing it. The armor clunked and clanked as we bounced atop our scorpion and made our way over the hills closer to the Hagaroth Mountains. To keep my thoughts from wandering into dark territory, which they often did, I'd occasionally tickle Em or rub her fuzzy red head and get her to smile with those big green eyes of hers. She giggled at almost everything now, as if she'd just discovered what it was to laugh. When she could laugh no more, I turned my attention back to our surroundings. The mountains are getting rockier, I said, pointing up ahead. I think that means we're close. I hope so, Ma said, cradling Em. I don't like that thing hovering above my head. By that thing, she meant Stella's stinger, which arched up and dangled its sharp, menacing point just above us. I couldn't blame her for being nervous. There were a couple times the stinger dropped so low I thought it'd poke my head if I stood up. It didn't help that none of us had ever seen a scorpion in real life, let alone ridden on one. Da kept trying to act like he knew what he was doing, whipping the reins and shouting, Yah! I didn't dare tell him that the scorpion directed itself and was in no need of coaxing. The reins were there for us in case the ride got bumpy. I think I see the bridge up ahead, I said, nearly jumping up with excitement, until I remembered the stinger. A canyon cut into the Hagaroth Mountains up ahead. The curious mountains had changed several times since we'd left that morning. They'd gone from being rounded at the tops with crowns of boulders to green, jungly mountains, half covered in low clouds. Before that, there were tall green hills full of blue and red wildflowers. And now, they were jagged and rocky, with patches of snow melting into waterfalls. A short distance more and we'd made it to the mouth of the canyon. 
well, not quite. We first had to cross the white tree bridge that stretched over the raging Hagaroth River, and then we'd be in the canyon. It looks like a good place to rest, Moss said, collapsing onto a log. Light, I haven't been this tired since I made a hundred plumpsy pies for the harvest festival. Now I feel like a plumpsy pie. Don't get too comfortable, I told her. The dark can't be far behind. For all we know, they didn't sleep like we did. They could be right behind us. Agreed, Da said. Best to make it short. Da carefully fed Stella, even though she was more than capable of feeding herself, while Ma sat Em down to play in the dirt and give her back a rest. Em patted the ground and pulled at the weeds. Her blissful ignorance was the most adorable thing I'd ever seen. In just a few short moments, we'd be facing the treacherous pass with dark minions on our tail, and here she was, throwing dirt into her hair, going cross-eyed and giggling. I wished I could be that carefree. I wished I could take a break, just lay out and take a nap. But I knew I wouldn't get to until we were safe inside the temples. As M picked up a clod of dirt and threw it, an idea came to me. Quickly, before losing it, I took out my journal of spells and quail quill. Then I closed my eyes and pictured myself moving a piece of earth out of the ground. With it came a word, Tarona. Holding the image in my mind, I wrote down the word in my book. Then closing my eyes again, I called the pixie to me. It came quickly, colder than usual, surprising me like an icy breeze, not warm and fuzzy like before. I breathed it in and allowed the power to fill my chest. There was something off about the pixie I summoned. It was darker than most pixie I'd felt, strong and full of pixie, but strangely mysterious and cloudy. Instead of clearing my mind and sharpening my senses, it shadowed over me. The protective powers of the pass, I assumed. I opened my eyes and held out my hand. Tarona! I commanded. A small boulder next to M tipped onto its side. Beneath it, an uncovered troll spider scurried like it had just been caught with its pants down. Well, so much for that, I thought. Too bad none of the minions are small enough to crush under a small rock. Are we ready? I asked, getting to my feet. Ma groaned as she peeled herself from her resting place. Dad climbed onto the scorpion's back with an arm swung over his head, shielding it in case the stinger decided to jab down at him. "'Mind if I take a turn with her?' I asked Ma, reaching for M. Ma smiled and handed her to me. "'It warms my heart to see you two so close,' she said. "'You've been a good big brother, Will. It's what every mother hopes for, and you've done me proud.' "'Don't thank me just yet.' We still have a ways to go. I whistled for Stella to follow, and Dad jumped when the huge scorpion turned and started walking. We approached the white tree bridge. It was long and narrow, only wide enough for a couple ferries to walk side by side, barely wide enough for Stella to squeeze across. White trunks and branches weaved together like a basket to form the walkway and handrail. Ma and Da would fly over it, of course, but someone had to help the skittish scorpion and the bulk of our supplies across, so I volunteered. 
Mondaf fluttered over to the other side and waited while I took my first steps onto the brittle white branches. The wood creaked under my feet. At first, Stella resisted my pull on the reins, but after a few hard tugs she gave in and tiptoed her six legs onto the bridge, her pinchers clamping onto the handrail for dear life. It's all right, girl, I got you, I told her, pulling her forward. The Hagaroth River raged beneath us. If the bridge snapped, which it sounded like it would any second, Em and I would simply fly up off it, but Stella and most of our supplies would fall down into the churning white water and be lost forever. Suddenly, something tickled the palm of my hand as it glided along the handrail. When I pulled it away, I saw a bright yellow flower growing out of the white branch. Would you look at that, I thought. It wasn't alone. More flowers sprouted up along the handrail and walkway, in sync with our progress over the bridge. Every step brought a burst of greenery and color that consumed the white branches. By the time we made it to the other side, the bridge was green, lush, and full of blue, yellow, and red blossoms. What was once a dreary, bone-like path was now blooming with life. All Mon Dad could do was stare in awe. I would have done the same, but I was in too big of a hurry to appreciate it. Instead, I marched up to the mouth of the canyon. The cliff stood high above us, parting narrowly to form a path, and at the top of either side the rock arched over the canyon in jagged peaks, like a cresting wave or teeth clamping down over us. I could tell Da felt uneasy about it, more jittery than Ma even. Maybe this was a mistake he said with a shaky voice. Perhaps we should continue following the foothills until we find a good hiding spot along the river. There must be. Da, I interrupted. I looked at him, trying to see if he was being serious. His hesitancy to look me in the eye told me that he was. This, I gestured to our group, the whole trek to the Temples of Light was your idea. I, I understand, but things change. What's changed, Da? The dark is still on our trail, and they'll take Emerald if we don't get her to safety. The danger's always been there. We've experienced it every step of the way. It's too late to turn back now. Da stood up straighter. I am in charge of the safety of this family, Will. That means you included. And I don't like the looks of this pass. I'm sure if anyone liked the looks of this pass, there'd be a line of fairies here to fly through it. I shot back. <sighs> I took a deep breath to get my emotions under control. How could he possibly be having second thoughts now, when we're so close to getting there? Da, I said calmly. Remember the time you taught me to fish Emerald Creek? Da smiled a little and nodded. I was terrified, I continued. I was sure I'd hook my ear or lip or slip into the water and be swept away in a current or be eaten by a creek croc or something. You remember what happened? Dad chuckled. You did about all that but get eaten. Well, if you count the mosquitoes, then I technically was, I replied. It was hard and miserable, but I knew it was something I had to learn to do. So I stayed with you, remember? And what happened at the end of that day, just before the sun dipped below the trees? You got one, Dad remembered. The biggest fish ever caught in Emerald Creek. It's still mounted above the door at the Hollow Trunk Inn. Dad, 
That fish is on the other side of this canyon. We've already gotten hooked, bruised, wet, and nearly eaten. We're just a few steps away. Let's finish what we started. <sighs> Dad took a deep breath and then nodded. Right you are, Will. Right you are. Ma smiled. I'll lead the way, I volunteered, taking the first steps into the canyon. We had barely started in when Ma stopped us. Did you hear that? she asked. We went quiet and listened. I heard it, a faint bugle in the distance. A horn, Ma said. Bursley coming to our aid? Dad questioned, imagining the humiliation. There it was again. This time I froze when I heard it. I knew that sound, that low thrumming call. It could only be one thing. Dark minions, I mumbled. I turned and ran back to the mouth of the canyon and looked over the bridge and down the foothills. Nothing, not even a bird. My eyes desperately scanned the horizon. After a few more seconds, the horn sounded again, and then, emerging from behind a distant hill, were countless black dots, some running on the ground, others flying. They're here! I shouted, running back into the canyon. Who's here? Ma asked. The dark minions! They've caught up! We've got to push through, quick! We ran through the canyon as fast as our heavy armor would allow. Stella, loaded with our supplies, scurried quickly by our side. When our feet grew tired, we flew, and when our wings grew tired, we ran. The sounds of our running and flying, running and flying, echoed in the canyon. The horn and dark minion shouts were growing louder now. They were just crossing the bridge and starting into the canyon. Over their cries, I heard small rocks scraping the canyon walls as they bounced down to the path. At first, they were only pebbles, but they grew bigger the deeper we got. Soon the canyon walls were trembling, and boulders bigger than our packs were smashing down around us. Is it an earthquake? Ma yelled over the commotion. What? I shouted back. Is it an earthquake? Before I could answer, the rumbling stopped, and only pebbles and dust slid down to our feet. It would have been completely silent if it weren't for the dark minions roaring down the canyon behind us. I could make out the shapes of waddling hardles with spears, flying dark fairies, and flapping bat-winged lunas. They were getting more excited now that they were within reach. A crack split up the canyon wall next to Dad. It ripped through the rock at an angle, up and up until it curved and cut a rough circle into the wall. Then, crack! A ball of rock tore itself from the circle and hummed down at us. Jump! I screamed. Dad flew out of the way just before the rock could clobber him. Smash! It exploded into smaller chunks behind him. We skidded to a stop as more cracks split up the canyon walls in front of us. Dozens of cracks, cutting jagged lines high up the rock face until they came to a loop and... Crack! Boom! They ripped themselves from the walls and whistled towards us like stone cannonballs. Smash! Smash! They crashed all around us as we dove and zipped out of the way. Stella did her best to swat the rocks away with her stinger, catching a few of them with her front chompers. The roars of delight from the minions had turned to shouts of horror as they too were forced to dodge the barrage of jumping rocks. Crack! Boom! 
Ma and Dad tried to take cover behind a mound of rock. Smash! But it crumbled to pieces with one blow from a massive jumping rock. We weren't going to make it, I thought. There are too many of them. Pretty soon it would be raining boulders. The downpour of falling rocks would black out the daylight. Crack! Boom! Smash! I jumped and twisted out of the way of two hurling rocks and then ran sideways along the canyon wall, jumping rocks bursting into powder all around me. Em screamed from my pack, the loud explosions rattling her poor little frame. A crack split up the wall between my running legs and circled right in front of my step. Crack! Boom! The rock shot out from under me, launching me through the air, across the canyon and nearly crushed me against the opposite wall. Luckily, my wings engaged just in time and flew me out of the way. I looked down to see Ma and Da flying through the rocky hailstorm, zigzagging their way through the canyon. Stella scurried close behind them, swatting away rocks with her stinger, but getting skimmed by a couple big ones. I watched, frozen with fear, as a jumping rock crashed down over Ma's back. No! I shouted. I dove for her. Da was already by her side with Stella stopping next to them. For a moment, time seemed to stand still, and I could clearly see at least three rocks heading straight for them. They were big, much larger than the first rocks that jumped out at us. If they reached my parents and Stella, that would be it. They'd be gone, buried in a stone grave. I closed my eyes and focused on the pixie around me. It was heavy and chaotic, no doubt much of it being used for whatever magic had brought these devious rocks to life. I thought of Emerald and asked her in my thoughts for some of her power. I imagined her willing it to me, and as she did, she began to glow. Pixie poured into me so fast I thought I'd burst into light, but it held. It shook my body, but by light it held. I released my breath and opened my eyes. Corona! I shouted, throwing out my hand. Earth ripped from the ground in large chunks around my parents and flew up to meet the falling rock. Smash poof! Smash poof! The rocks collided with the summoned earth and clouds of dark dust. Amazed, Das staggered to his feet, picked up Ma and flew her towards the end of the canyon with Stella close behind. I dove after them with my arms still outstretched. Torona! I yelled again. More chunks of earth flew out of the ground and smashed into the rock before it could hit us. A few more shouts and the last of the rocks were blasted away. The loud claps from their collision echoed like thunder back down the canyon. I collapsed hard to the ground on the other side of the pass. Coughing up dirt, I lifted my head just enough to see that I was laying on a grassy hill in a small valley, surrounded by mountain cliffs. Waterfalls cascaded down them and turned into mist before reaching the ground. Da came running over to see if we were okay. Em was still crying and had likely taken a few hard blows when she tumbled to the ground. Da quickly scooped her up, looked her over, and tried to calm her. Shh, you'll be okay, love. Shh, he said. Will, I can't believe you. Are you okay? Where does it hurt? Everywhere, I groaned. Da helped me to my feet and led me over to Ma, who was crunched up in a ball in the grass. Ma, are you okay? I asked, collapsing down next to her. She'll be all right, Da answered. She got hit hard, real hard. Probably would have killed her, 
but that dandelion armor took most of the blow, thank the light. Or Bursley, I suggested. Daz shuddered at the name. Ma, can you stand? I asked her. I don't think so, she whispered hoarsely. My back feels like it's been snapped in two. I can heal you, I told her. I'm not sure I have the energy now to do it, but I... Best to let her rest, Daz stepped in. Let's just give her some space. There was a look in Daz's eyes I hadn't seen before. At least not a look he'd ever directed at me. He looked almost scared of me. Afraid of what I might do to Ma if I were to lay my hands on her. Da, I can help her, I assured him. Once I get the energy, I can... I'm sure you can, son, but she needs rest, and you need to wind down. Wind down? We don't know what you're capable of yet. It's not safe to have you... Not safe? Do you hear yourself? Who do you think you're talking to? It's me, your son! The one who just saved you from being pulverized by jumping rocks? I know, Will, I know! Daz snapped, practically shaking now he was so overwhelmed. Please just give us time. That's all I ask. I shook my head and went to check on Stella. She was jittery and her stinger was still flailing about in every which way as if fighting off invisible rocks. Now, now, girl, it's all right. I stroked her fuzzy beige back. Maybe he's just jealous of my power, I thought. Or he's just too prideful to accept my help. What, did he think I was going to blast Maw with lightning or something? He had no idea what I'd been through to get here. At least their memory was wiped under a spell for most of their troubles. I almost wished I'd been so lucky. My eyes glanced over Stella's back at the cliffs at the end of the valley. There was a faint, misty glow hovering over them, like a colorful mirage. A rainbow mirage. The Rainbow Ridge, I thought. It was just as the Tulip Queen said. If we were almost to the Rainbow Ridge, then that means just a short distance further were the Temples of Light. An unspeakable excitement shot through me. We're almost there, I shouted. Look, see those colors on the mountaintop up ahead? That's the Rainbow Ridge I told you about. The temples are just beyond it. We can make it there before nightfall if we keep going. I'll carry M while Ma rides on Stella. I wasn't sure how I'd have enough energy to make it up to the ridge, but I was too excited to give it much thought. Dad looked up at the shimmering colors and then back at Ma. Guess it wouldn't be safe to camp out here in the open, he said. Let's start up, and if it gets rough, we'll set up camp halfway. That's if we make it halfway. My wings are already spent. Mine too, I said. We can take turns riding on Stella with Ma if we get tired. We don't want to overburden her. No, we don't, Daz said, gently pushing Ma's sweat-dampened hair out of her face. I helped him secure Ma to Stella's back before we continued through the valley and started up the mountain trail. Down below, at the other end of the valley, a big, dark shadow stumbled over the rubble and out of the mouth of the canyon.
are so close to the temples of light. I can smell it. Rocketeers, I can smell it. Okay, I can't really smell it. But man, I almost just want to scoop them up, throw them into a water balloon launcher, and launch them the rest of the way. In this episode of Winglings, we heard a lot about mountains. Some of you out there might live by mountains or visit them on vacation to go camping or hiking. I love the mountains. We lived in Colorado where my wife's from, and so we got to appreciate how beautiful and majestic they are. So what is a mountain exactly? Simply put, a mountain is a landform that rises high above the surrounding land. They usually have steep sloping sides and a high point called a summit or peak. You'll often hear about people hiking to the top of a mountain or its summit. Well, Greg, hills rise above the surrounding land too, so what now? True. They're very similar, which is why countries around the world usually distinguish them by their height, because mountains are higher than hills. For most countries, anything over 2,000 feet or 600 meters would be considered a mountain. Less than that would be a hill. So there's some big hills out there. And how did mountains get here? Mountains are formed when pieces of the Earth's crust, called plates, smash into each other, making the land crumple or fold upward. This is called plate tectonics. The process usually takes millions of years, so these babies don't just pop up overnight. And did you know that there are different kinds of mountains? There are fold mountains, which are the most common type. These are formed, as I just discussed, when two plates collide, making the edges crumple and fold upward. Some examples of fold mountains would be the Rockies in North America, the Alps in Europe, the Himalayas in Asia. They're the most common type of mountain. Next, we have fault block mountains. A fault is a crack in the Earth's crust. The fault block mountains are formed when these cracks push rock or other materials up or down. Instead of the land folding, like the fault mountains, the Earth's crust pulls apart and breaks into chunks or blocks that shift around. The Sierra Nevada mountains in North America are fault block mountains. There are also dome mountains, which of course are rounded on top and look like a dome. Pretty self-explanatory. These are formed when magma, or molten rock, pushes up under the Earth's crust. But instead of erupting into a volcano, it just chills out, leaving the rock layer intact and cooling the magma underneath, making it harden into rock itself. It's kind of like a really, really hard zit about to burst, only it doesn't. And it never goes away. So it's like a zit from all your nightmares. But some mountains were formed by a volcanic eruption. They're called volcanic mountains. They're formed when magma erupts from the Earth's crust, piles up on the surface, and then cools and hardens into rock. Mount St. Helens in North America is an example of a volcanic mountain. And lastly, we have plateau mountains. They're flat areas of land found in high places high above sea level. They're formed by erosion. So those are the types of mountains that are out there. If you have a mountain, any kind of mountain near you, I challenge you and your family to go to it and enjoy it. Go on a hike, have a picnic, climb, whatever it is you like to do outdoors. If you're really ambitious, try to do some research and find out what type of mountain that is you're visiting. Find your family mountain and create some good memories. 
Growing up in Arizona, we went to the White Mountains quite a bit to get out of the heat. We'd fish, hike, camp, see the fall colors. I loved it. And my wife grew up at the base of the Wet Mountains in southern Colorado. So she kind of sees those as her family's mountains and has lots of great memories going up and exploring those. So find your mountain and go on an adventure. Get out in nature, racketeers. It's good for you. Just like listening to this podcast. Just kidding, but seriously. You guys are awesome. Thank you guys for tuning in, and be sure to check back on Monday for an all-new episode. This is your host, Greg Webb.